Today is Memorial Day and we're remembering the people that have served and the people that have died to make this country free, one nation under God, as our forefathers said. If you have served in the military branch in any capacity, either now serving or, or, or in the past, would you please stand right now? We want to thank the Lord for your service. Could you do that? Let's thank the Lord for these men and women. Bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate your service so much to, to put your life on the line for us, for our children, and um, to make sure this is a place where um, people can have freedom of religion. I, I really, really appreciate you. I want you to take a look at the screen for a moment as well. These are uh, the Oregon service members who've been killed in action this year, people from Oregon. Please take special notice of the last one listed there, U.S. Marine Corporal Matthew Lemke from Tualatin, Oregon. You may have seen that in the papers, but he died earlier this year. And um, I, I want to pray especially for his family today. But would you do this? Pick somebody out. Pick a family out. Because I tell you, this year they died, and you know they're hurting today on Memorial Day, these families. Would you pray for them? Uh, someone on that screen as I pray as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you <clears throat> for these that have gone before that have died, Lord, so that we could have peace in our country and freedom of religion, freedom, Lord, of the press, freedom to, uh, to follow our own hearts and desires and pursue what you would put on our hearts. I ask that you would bless those, Lord, that, that are still living, that stood, that served so that we can have this freedom. And Lord, for these that have died for this purpose, I pray that you would uh, be with their families today. I pray that they would know your peace. I pray that they could find your love and your embrace on this day. And Lord, especially for the Lemke family in this area, would you just touch them in a special way today? Would you let them know, Lord, that you love them? And, and God, I pray that they'd get a sense that we all love them and we're all grateful for what Matthew did and how he sacrificed his life for our freedom. Praise you, Lord, for this day and these people in Jesus' name, amen. Today I'm in the last series, the last sermon of the series entitled Influence. It's really a series about leadership, but not all of us are leaders in the, in the sense of people following us directly every day, but every one of us can be leaders with our influence. Today I'm ending this series with a sermon entitled God Gives Leaders. I want to couch what I'm saying today in, 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 in this Christian leadership is not restricted to the church or within the church walls, but it's equally effective in the marketplace. Here's what I mean by that. Christian leaders are needed in companies and places all over the world beyond the walls of the church. It's essential to have Christian leadership beyond the church for these companies, for the military, uh, for all these areas uh, that leaders serve. It is not restricted, Christian leadership is not restricted to pastors and missionaries. I like this definition of Christian leadership that goes for the church and beyond the church. Christian leadership is moving people to follow God's agenda. That's what Christian leaders do in the church and beyond. Let's pray. Father, come now by the power of your Holy Spirit and teach us. Lord, I, I don't want this to just be a talk. Um, I want it to be a sermon. Lord, I want it to be preaching that is attended by your Holy Spirit. So I yield my heart and my life. Lord, I've, 
I've written down words that I feel like you've given me, scriptures, but God, I pray you'd lead me and guide me according to your will for, for those perfect words that you'd say to your servants today. Let it be, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Three thoughts about leadership today that I have for you, and the first is this. God gives the gift of leadership. In Romans 12, most people refer to these as the motivational gifts, gifts that are given to a life. They're on a life, whether saved or unsaved, in some of these cases. But look what it says in verse 6 of Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. And here's the gift I want to focus on today. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. Another version would say, let them govern, because there are men and women leaders as well. In the Bible, God chose Deborah to be the judge over Israel. So women are used, and women have this gift in the same way men do, a gift of leadership. Now, according to the profiling and tests that are taken uh, for gifting, and, and secular tests as well as Christians reveal that most people don't have the gift of leadership. There's only about 30% of the people in society who would have this gift of leadership, according to the testing. I don't know if that percentage is right on, but I'll tell you this. Be careful when you choose a leader. Be careful if you wanna go to a place of leadership, because not everybody has the gift of leadership. It is a gift given by God. All of us can lead for moments. All of us can influence at key times, and it can be brought to bear that we would lead in some way. But the gift of leadership is uniquely given by God for people to govern. And we're going to talk about that uh, some today. Not govern independently, not govern all by themselves, but decision-making leadership has wisdom attached to it that comes from God with special gifting. So just because someone's in your workplace who's a nice person, who's extremely productive and is a good example and has a word of wisdom every now and that is not enough to sweep them into leadership. Because you can do all those things without having the gift of leadership. The gift of leadership, again, something given by the Lord, and it's wonderful when his servants use this gift to bring his love into various settings and his wisdom. Secular companies have been embracing, this, this might surprise you, but there are timeless truths about Jesus and the word of God that secular companies are now embracing even though they know not God. They're realizing that Jesus was a great leader. They're realizing that when the principles of this word are followed, even, you know, even if you don't know God, if you apply the wisdom in Proverbs, the wisdom of this word, your company's gonna be blessed. Your life's gonna be blessed. You won't be saved because the only way to be saved is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, it says in Acts 4.12. There's only one name given unto men and it comes from heaven, Jesus Christ, and that's how we're saved. But these timeless truths work in business. Listen to what Henry and Richard Blackaby say in their book, Spiritual Leadership, concerning secular companies. Leadership authorities find that doing business in a Christian manner, regardless of whether one is a practicing Christian, is good for business. Today's leadership gurus are writing books that appear almost Christian. Now listen, these books are written by people who aren't Christians. Book titles such as Jesus, CEO, Management, Lessons of Jesus, Servant, Leadership, Love and Profit, Leading with Soul and Encouraging the Heart sound like they ought to be shelved in a Christian college, not in the office of a corporate CEO. So the world is figuring this out too, that there's something about this book, there's something about Jesus that brings success 
in life when those truths are followed. Let's look at an example in the Bible as we talk about the timeless truths of the Bible. Let's look at a leader named Joseph. Remember, Joseph wasn't a pastor, wasn't an evangelist, wasn't a missionary. He was just a guy that God had given a call and put the gift of leadership on. We know that as we look at his life. Remember how much hardship he went through with false accusations and sold out by his family and put into slavery and thrown into prison and yet he comes out uh, in a wonderful fashion to help lead a nation. He starts to work with, with the Pharaoh of Egypt. The Pharaoh of Egypt was an unbeliever. So he's serving in a company or in a government that does not follow God, that does not know God. And yet he's swept into power. He interprets a dream and God gives Joseph the wisdom as a leader to know that they should store grain, to know that they should develop a, a, a food distribution system because there would be famine in the land that was coming, even though there was plenty now. And we see how God used him in Genesis fifty twenty. He was talking to his brothers who had sold him out and he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In secular companies, in secular settings, beyond the walls of the church, God uses Christian leadership all the time to bless people. Why? Because he's he's a God who loves. He's a God who longs to draw people to himself. He's a God who longs for people to be blessed. He's a good God, and Christian leadership is used in secular settings all the time. The very best model in the world for leadership The very best leader to ever walk this earth was Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13.20 talks about this great leader, Jesus, the Lord and Savior. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the chief shepherd. There's no shepherd that is over Jesus. All pastors, spiritual leaders of any sort are under the great shepherd. It says in verse 21, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. Well, if he's the greatest leader to ever walk the earth, then he's our model to look to for leadership, whether in the church or beyond the walls. Let me tell you what characterized his entire ministry. Even though he's the greatest leader to ever walk the earth, this is what he said in John 5.30, by myself, I can do nothing. So there's Jesus pointing the way to the Father, saying, I can't do it by myself. Those of you with that gift of leadership, those of you who will be swept in for a moment to influence in a leadership setting, keep in mind that by yourself, you can't do it. You have to look to the Father as Jesus showed us in his example. Following the Father's lead is what brings success. Have you ever heard of the R.W. Beckett Corporation? Probably not. But in his book, Visioneering, Pastor Andy Stanley gave this account. Wise leaders, he says, he says, recognize that life is far too complex to comprehend apart from God's revelation and guidance. <clears throat> and then he says, excuse me, <clears throat> John Beckett, CEO of the R.W. Beckett Corporation, faced a crisis. An Arab oil embargo had caused oil prices to double, dramatically affecting his company's sales for heating oil products. Beckett's competitors followed a predictable course. They cut sales. 
they laid off staff. They adopted a siege mentality. <clears throat> Beckett, however, was part of a men's prayer group. Now, this is one of the leaders of the, one of the largest corporations in the world. And in his prayer group, as he prayed with these brothers that loved him, that he loved, they sensed that the Lord was saying something. He shared the difficulty his company was having. He felt the Lord was speaking something, and they all started to verbalize they had the same thoughts during prayer. Well, the thoughts were this. They felt that God was revealing that the embargo would be short-lived, that the company should, instead of cutting operations, should increase sales efforts. And the group sensed God saying collectively this, take one day at a time and let me lead. That's what they thought God was saying. Now, to those of you who have companies that are struggling right now, I want to encourage you that your leader as you lead should be Jesus who leads to the Father. Apart from him, you could do nothing. What if you adapted that same thought? Take one day at a time and let Jesus lead. It's a really good place to start right now, wherever you are. Take one day at a time and let Jesus lead. Get up every morning saying, what do you want to do, God? And you may not realize it, but the Holy Spirit will quicken your heart as you're humbling yourself, asking for Jesus' help. He'll give you wisdom how to speak to a worker, wisdom about direction, And if you're not careful, you'll take all the credit yourself. But understand, as you seek him, he longs to lead you and loves leading you to a place that is good for those around you and for you as well. That company, after taking a different tact when everybody else was hunkering down, they increased sales and that company emerged from the crisis stronger than ever and assumed the position as the undisputed leader in their industry throughout the world. Hey, this leadership thing, this following Jesus as a leader is very important outside the walls of the church. Vision was born out of a revelation from God for these guys, not a textbook. Not a crisis management natural approach, but God was leading. God gives the gift of leadership and his leaders, when they follow him, find success, and so do the people around them. A second thought today. <clears throat> God gives specific assignments and empowers certain leaders to accomplish his will. Let's look at a few scriptures where God's just designating, appointing, choosing. And he does this as he will. Now keep in mind, the disciples didn't have their act together. I mean, look at, look at Peter. All kinds of problems. Big mouth, angry spirit, denied Christ, And yet somehow God uses his life in an amazing way. Granted, he was probably growing all the way along. And let me say this, just because you're leading or I'm leading doesn't mean we have all our act together. And if you want to pick out any one leader, you can find flaws in them, I promise you, because nobody has it all together. And yet, listen to me now, God chooses and appoints men and women who still have some flaws. Now, if there's a a sin issue a real sin issue, then, then you shouldn't follow leaders like that, whether in the church or, or beyond. Don't move into sin or coddle sin or pride that the Lord would not bless. However, look at this. When it comes to just normal men and women, he appointed 12 in Mark 13. These are the apostles now, designating them apostles that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Acts 19, it says The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. It's talking about Paul. So he designated, appointed in Mark 3. He chose 
in Mark 9. And then one of the greatest leaders of all time in the world was Moses, who led a whole nation uh, uh, to, to deliver us, delivered a whole nation under the leadership of God Almighty. In Exodus 3, 9, <clears throat> here's a guy who had killed somebody earlier in his life. And some people might th- think that disqualified him for spiritual leadership. But he was trying to protect someone when he did it. And even though he had these flaws, Exodus 3, 9, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, God said, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you. So God chose a specific guy for a specific reason, for a specific task to bring about his will. God chooses whom he chooses. You wouldn't choose some of the people he chooses for various reasons, but he chooses. Here's a, an, an example of a fellow in our fellowship who's a leader, Jeff Groth. He's not here today, but he's the chief of police in Sherwood. Moved into leadership there in 2008, but he's always studied leadership and he has the gift of leadership. I've hung out with him and talked with him. And just the way he thinks and the way he talks, the gift is inherent. It's resident there. The Lord's put it in him. And he's a wonderful Christian brother who got into power as a Christian leader in a secular place. I say Christian leader because he's a leader who loves Jesus from his heart. Here's his account that I had him write down. I wanted you to know how the Lord has used him in his setting. Jeff said, one of the first things that happened was I discovered just how desperate people were to have somebody there. I want to interject this. The chief of police that had been there for a number of years before him was rarely in the office, just a couple of time with, times within the last couple of years, operating and functioning from with the out, outside with calls, but not coming in and relating with people. He said, even before my official first day on the job, while I was moving some items into the office after hours, some of the officers greeted me <clears throat> and said how good it was to have a chief again, a very odd statement. It became obvious to me that they had been neglected for some time. As a result of this, I began creating intentional opportunities to spend time with people, whether at coffee, in the office, or at department meetings that we started having. During these meetings, I would ask questions, let people talk, or just laugh. As we got together, each other, we got to know each other better, and establish relationship. One of the first things I did, he said, was to bring on a police chaplain that I had known for several years and knew as an evangelical Christian so he could assist in the healing and cultural change, and they needed healing. Here's why. Before he arrived, one of the officers in Sherwood walked into that city building, put a gun to his head, and killed himself while all of his peers were around him. That suicide devastated some lives. And here's what he says about that. At one of the department meetings, the subject of the officer who committed suicide came up. The suicide happened some five years before in 2003. And yet as we spoke about it, some were visibly shaken. When I asked why, I was told that after a short mourning period, they'd been ordered not to talk about it. And so they hadn't for the last five years. I realized that this was a very real wound that had gone untreated. So we started to talk about it. We also named a department award after the guy in order to memorialize his passing and provide some healing. And for those of you who may think that's weird, let me just interject something here. There really is such a thing as chemical imbalance. Uh, 
and lives do go astray and things go awry and people don't think right. And I believe Jesus loves people and I believe there'll be heaven, people in heaven that have taken their own lives as well. Some would, would strongly say no, but I, I just beg to differ. A loving God understands if things went awry. And people have done good things in their life that can still be remembered. He said trust had been a big issue because they had nothing or no one to trust for so, such a long time. It took some time for the culture to begin to change. Then he says, I remember the surprise look when I showed up at an officer's house to check on him after he was injured. And another surprise look when I went to the hospital to see another injured officer. Here's a guy who walked in, read the situation, got the wisdom of God as he was seeking it, brought healing to hurt, built relationship, and now they're functioning at a very high level when they were wounded and in pain before he arrived. Isn't it wonderful how much God loves people? Isn't it wonderful when the gift of leadership is applied in all of these settings? Christian leadership in a secular setting. God loves people. So we see that he moves in the marketplace, but I think it's appropriate. I want to take a moment because I think it's healthy for all churches and all, all believers to hear this next thought as well. God has also willed that there be leaders in the church. God has gifted leaders and appointed and chosen them place them in certain situations for the church as well. 1 Peter 5, 2. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Speaking now to, to elders, pastors, leaders. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead. Now, I just want you to notice there's this there's something moving through the ranks of Christianity that I think is very false and damaging, and that is that there shouldn't be any leaders. Well, why would the Bible say lead in a few situations that I'm gonna read to you unless there were supposed to be leaders? But lead them by your own good example. Here we see God gives specific assignments to certain leaders. We also see, because it it says um, the ones that were assigned to your care. We also see that he wants these leaders, these spiritual leaders in the church to be a good example. We've talked about that example through the weeks here. Having a servant's heart. Loving and caring for the flock. Not dictating or forceful. Jesus didn't force anyone. He's our example. Pure in heart. Humility with a heart to grow. Let me stop there for just a moment. And although I believe that the position the Lord has called me to is very much servant leadership, I understand that there's a responsibility put on me that comes from the Lord. And interestingly enough, I hope it's the same for you, I try to take most, I try to take my cues and my leadership from the Lord. There's, I really want to please him more than anyone else because I have to give an account someday. Now, <clears throat> I would just say to you that as I've led here in the last 17 years, I can think of a half dozen times or more that I think I made a bad decision. I think I didn't do it just right. And... Um, as I, as I look at that, I, I wish I did everything just right. I wish I never made any mistakes, but I, but I think I've made some as a leader. And yet, it's something that the Lord has called me to. Leadership is decision-making. Just like you in the marketplace, I probably won't get it all right all along the way. But here's what I've tried to do if I get it wrong. I try to, I try to walk humbly, learn from the experience, and say I'm sorry to people when I make a mistake. Because I believe that's what God would have me to do. And yet, even though we have leaders like myself 
who don't have it completely all together, and really the truth is, if we're honest, none of us do, even the best leaders in this world, even with all those flaws of the leaders I spoke of earlier in the Bible and, and the mistakes that I've made, it is obvious in the Bible that God has chosen leaders to lead, make decisions, and influence for his purposes. It's obvious. Look at Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Now, again, I just want to point out, leader is in the Bible. That's a spiritual leadership that it's talking about. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Again, the account is not so much to you that that's talking about. It's to God. Then it says this. I really think it brings to light here something people don't know. Whether, it, whether it's your boss, your teacher, your professor, your coach, whatever it may be. Leaders have feelings too. They're real people who hurt just like everybody else does. Just like you do. Obey them so that their work will be a joy. Not a burden for that would be of no advantage to you. Some would say, well, I don't want to follow any leader. Well, I, I, under, I understand that some people have been hurt. I understand that there should be confirmation and key decisions being made and no one should be out there on their own, and, uh, a maverick do, doing only what they want to do. That, that, that there, there's a compilation of hearts and, and, and leadership and, and, and consensus that's appropriate at times. Proverbs fifteen twenty two says this, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. So it's important for every leader to listen, to learn. And yet, at some point, and here's what I want you to catch, at some point a call has to be made by somebody, whether out there or in here. Let me talk about what the Lord's given me here. Did you know to do here? Did you know there's probably 20 or 30 lobbying groups in this church? I mean, people don't think of that. A leader has a 40,000 foot view. The number one question for me is not how that department is doing or that class or those people. The number one question that I ask God is, what do you want for Horizon Community Church? That is the number one question. Well, listen, we've had to have some layoffs. Probably wasn't a great feeling for the people who got laid off, but living with our means is a stewardship principle. As, as, as um, Truman, the president, said, the buck stops here. Sometimes you have to make a call for the good of the whole that no one else really wants to make. Sometimes what's good for the church isn't good for a department. But the good of the church overall is it's the 40,000 foot view that a leader must take and move forward doing what he feels the Lord would have for the good of the whole. You may say, well, I know a leader who failed once so I don't want to follow any leader ever again. And I leave with you the great wisdom of Pastor Roger Lavasa, if that's the way you feel, who said in our meeting this week, are you going to stop eating because you had one bad burger? <laughs> he's got great wisdom when it comes to food analogies. He's just, <laughs> he's just right in there. <clears throat> hey, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If they're supposed to be leaders according to the word of God, here's what I would say. Find a leader that you can believe in and get in and get behind them. Now, I'm not just saying that to you for me. There are people who listen to the podcast. There are people who are visiting today. Find a leader that you can get behind and then get in there and serve. Leadership is not a topic that is easily discussed in America's current environment. Leadership as a whole has been going downhill when it comes to popularity for about 30 years in America. 
but it's still a principle of God's word. He still gifts people to lead. Probably the best modern day equivalent that would help Americans where we get this principle, we don't get it in very many places. Honestly, we don't. We struggle with it because we're just taught independence and do what you want to do. Makes sense in the military, but people don't like that. A lot of people don't like it. But here's, here's an equivalent that really helps us understand. Coaching. It seems like everybody seems to get the whole coaching thing. So let's talk about that for a moment. Coaching. I've lived in this realm of athletics for a, a number of years in my life. I stopped playing sports at about 23 and went 18 years, played two sports in college. Understand a little bit about being a coach and having a coach. Uh, how would things work out if every player, let's talk basketball, on the floor just did whatever they wanted to do? Just let them, hey, nobody's going to tell them what to do. They just do whatever they want to do. I'm telling you, it wouldn't go that well. You might win a few, but collectively, you're just going to have a ton of losses, even if you have talent on the floor. What if Phil Jackson, the coach of the Lakers, had a bunch of other assistant coaches calling out different plays, getting players on their side, and told a few to do what he wanted, but the rest wouldn't listen, and they were listening to all these coaches. You know what would happen there? Anarchy, chaos, and mutiny is what that's called. And it won't go well. At some juncture, a guy has to listen and collectively, or a lady, make a call. And it's necessary. And if you have several head coaches, it doesn't go well. I remember a scenario um, as, as I coached basketball here in this city, fifth grade boys. And it wasn't one of the competitive leagues, so the kids just learning. And I really had fun. My son was on the team at the time. And a little guy came through the line, and I was teaching him how to do a layup. So they're, they're all learning, you know, foundational fundamentals here. And to do a layup, you always go off the inside leg, the leg closest to the hoop, and the outside leg and the arm go like a puppet on a string. They go up together. So I was taking players one at a time, setting them under the hoop. They weren't running, but just say, lift your leg, now put it up together. And then on the third or fourth time, I'd have them shoot it so they could just get the feel of it. So it learned to be, be natural for them. And we'd gone through several students and it went just fine. We came to this one little guy and I said, now just lift your leg. And he just sat there and looked at me. I said, okay, I thought he didn't understand. So I explained again, just, you know, now just lift your leg like this and he wouldn't do it. And I called his name, I said, just lift it up. And he said to me, so all the other boys could hear, he said, I don't like it when people tell me what to do. <laughs> and I, I kind of laughed myself because I found that amusing. And I said, son, what if you thought about it as me helping you and not telling you what to do. I just want to give you that thought for leadership for a moment. What if you restructured your thought to not someone telling you what to do, but someone helping you with a gift that God has brought to bear in the situation because they've been called into that setting? So what if, what if you just thought of it as me trying to help you? He sat there for a moment and I said, now lift your hand. He goes, again, he said, I don't like it when people tell me what to do. Well, that's fine if it's, you know, they're telling you to do drugs and wrong things, but we're just trying to accomplish something for a purpose here of, of, of actually blessing the boy. So I said, well, why don't you just sit down over there and we'll, 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 we'll finish out on our own there. And he just sat on the side the rest of the way. Another time, I didn't say this in first service, we, come to, we came to a time where we were doing conditioning. And we're, that means, you, you know, we were on lines. They call them sweet 16s and suicides and all these other things to get kids in shape so they fourth quarter that's where you win it you know and he just said I don't want to run 
he was back with that attitude. And I, I never was mean to this boy because he, he was very amusing to me. I just found it funny from where I came from in athletics. It did not compute to him. He said, I don't want to run. I said, okay, you don't have to run. Why don't you sit over there? And then I said to the boys, now, we're all going to run extra today because we need to be in better shape because you had to play everybody in this fifth grade league because Adam won't be in shape when we get out there. We have to make up for it. So since Adam's not running, we're all going to run more today. And the players said, hey, get over here, get over here. And so peer pressure, he got up and we ran. And he, he and I had a little talk with his parents and I told his parents how I liked him and I was just trying to help him. And his parents said, hey, uh, son, work with him. And he did after that. But, but you know, we, we have to be careful. We hurt the collective whole because we're just doing what we want to do sometimes. In terms of leaders that hurt, I heard this story about one of the great leaders from Faith Center in Eugene, a four-square church that, that, that is a great church, really one of the great churches in the Northwest, has been for a number of years. Roy Hicks was the pastor at the time. He has since passed away. He died in a tragic plane crash at a, at a fairly young age. But Roy Hicks Jr. came up on a Sunday morning like this in a setting where worship had just happened. He was just walking up and would start to preach like I did this morning. But here's what he said. And I, someone who was present at a meeting told me this happened. He got up and said, you know what? Somebody here has been criticizing and just doing dumb stuff behind the scenes. And I'm upset. And I, I, I'm just not, my spirit is not right to preach today. So we're just going to cancel service and we're all going home. So he didn't preach. He just prayed and everybody left. And people were going, what in the world? Who's doing that? You know, here's the deal. You can upset your pastor who hurts too. Set the singles pastor who hurts just like you hurt. Why would, here's the deal, hurt people hurt people. Why would you want to, to and I want to read the scripture again, uh, uh, just, just to let you know, obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. God gives spiritual leadership as a gift to bless you. Be careful whether in this church or beyond, to rough up an elder, a pastor, a leader in a class, whatever it may be, they've been given authority. They're, they're doing their best. Try to, to make things go as well as possible. And I just say this, would you, would you be careful to do this in every setting in this church? Don't criticize publicly a leader in any class setting or any pastor. If you have something to say, you come to me personally and I, I'll be happy to hear it. You go to the pastor. You go to the one that you have the trouble with. Hey, listen, church, this is great teaching that'll bless a church. You go to the person that you have the problem with and work it out. Did you know most of the trouble in the body of Christ is just misunderstanding? Meeting after meeting after meeting when people will get together and talk it out. Hearts are just misunderstood. Hugs happen. The Lord moves, the Holy Spirit moves, and everything settles down. That's God's way. Well, he gives us leaders. Let's be a blessing to all the leaders around here. It is a scriptural principle. God gives that gift and he calls people into those positions. Third thought for you today, God's purpose in giving us leaders is to bless and cover us. I wanted to bless that little boy and teach him some skill. And he didn't understand when I was teaching him that basketball move. And God wants to bless you with leaders. Think of the story of Gideon. Judges 6.12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to Gideon. Now, this is a guy who's hiding out because he doesn't want to get hurt. And the angel of the Lord says to him, mighty hero. I just want to say to you, 
you would not choose some of the people God chooses. You just wouldn't. You might even have an interview, but you wouldn't pull them into power because um, they don't quite live up to your list. But God doesn't work that way. God knows what's in a heart. We, we know what's on the outside, but only the Lord really knows a heart. God knows how submitted they really are to his call, his leadership. He knows how humble their hearts are. And some of the people we'd say no to, God says, you're a mighty hero. I'm gonna sweep you into power because I've chosen you and that gift is in you. I've placed it there. Gideon replied, Lord, if you're with us, why has all this happened to us? And see, to me, there's humility in that. When he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. He says, if you're with us. Do you see the company, the, the humility in that? He didn't say, if you're with me. He said, if you're with us. He didn't even wanna say, me in power? If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? And by the way, the Lord had pulled his blessing away because they were following after foreign gods. Gideon had it right, but the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. So God chose a man that others wouldn't choose because he knew his heart, because he knew the gift he'd placed in him. And he called him forward to bless a whole nation. And he'll do that with men and women in settings in the church and beyond the church in secular companies. I believe most of you who have a gift of leadership understand that you do. Here's how you can know. People keep asking you to do things. I can remember when I was playing sports as a young guy, they were always trying to get me to be the captain and I didn't want to be the captain. I mean, the coaches. You'd be a captain. I'd say to him, I don't want to be a captain. And here's why I didn't want to be a captain. Too much responsibility. Too much responsibility. No thank you. <clears throat> I didn't want to be a preacher. Here's why. Too much responsibility. I didn't want to be a leader, but guess what? Whatever the Lord has placed in you, if you run from it like Jonah, you're going to be most miserable, but you're going to be most blessed and fulfilled when you accept it and start to move towards those things that the Lord has placed in you. You say, well, there shouldn't be self-proclaimed leaders. Well, not self-proclaimed, but please understand, God gives this gift. He specifically said, I give it to people. And when he does, if you answer the call, it'll, it'll, it'll go well for you. Some of you, not only can you know because, because people are asking you to do things, but when you start to do those things, people affirm that leadership. And you can start to see. And then spiritual leaders might say, I see this in you. And you can have a sense. But, but God gives people a sense at a pretty young age. I love this story about Winston Churchill. You know what a great leader he was for Great Britain historically. I couldn't believe this when I read it. While he was in school at Harrow at age 16, Churchill's response to a classmate's query about his future were bold. This is Winston Churchill when asked what he was gonna do with his life, what he said when he was 16 years old. Churchill said, I can see vast changes coming over a now peaceful world. Great upheavals, terrible struggles, wars such as one cannot imagine. They weren't in war when he said this. And I tell you, London will be in danger. London was tremendously bombed when he came into leadership. London will be attacked and I will be very prominent in the defense of London. London was living in peace. In the high position I shall occupy, it will fall to me to save the capital, to save the empire. 16 years old, Churchill said that. I think God was giving him a sense of his destiny. 
You know, sometimes God will give us the long-term thing. And this is highly unusual, you know. Not very many will lead at this level. But can you imagine what his peers who were 16 thought of him when he said that on that day? His own dad didn't believe in him. His own dad didn't visit him at the boarding school and said he would never amount to much. His mother, who he loved with all his heart, rarely came to the boarding school to see him. And yet God had chosen him for such a time. And remarkably, he did just what he said. World War II, he courageously led Great Britain. Swept into power at the age of 66 years old is when it was fulfilled. He played a huge role to bring about the defeat of Hitler and stymied the spread of communism around the world. God gives leadership to bless us in small settings, small group settings, church settings, company settings, national settings, government settings. God gives leaders. I want to end this series with this story. I've called the series Influence. I'm going to talk to you about a lady who had incredible influence and was a leader even though she had no title and no position. Her name, Mother Teresa. She became famous because she was a nun who decided to start a place where the, the dying of, of Calcutta could come inside and be ministered to as they died. Could hear about the love of God. Could die with dignity. She just pulled dying people off the streets. That's all she did. The irony of that and her example of love and compassion that came from the heart of God is at one time before she died in a survey, she was revealed by college women, college students that were women, as the number one influence in the world. No title, no position, but leading by example. Every one of us can lead by example. Every one of us can be an influence if we carry these attributes that we've talked about. Love, a servant's heart, listening to God, following. Writer Peggy Noonan writes this about Mother Teresa and I want to read you her account. Noonan says, it was the National Prayer Breakfast on February 3rd, 1994 at the Hilton Hotel and there were 3,000 people there. I was at a national prayer breakfast about seven or eight years ago. Karen and I were. President Bush spoke. I was in that very room with 3,000 people. As a matter of fact, I remember telling Candace, she was pretty little at the time, I said, honey, I'm gonna be having breakfast with President Bush next week. And she said, well, tell him I said hello. Uh, <clears throat> I said, well, there's gonna be a few thousand people with me. I'm not sure I can get to him, but um, we, we were in that setting, so I, I can see the room, but I, I didn't see this. But here's Noonan's account who attended. She said, most of official Washington was there. By tradition, the President of the United States and the First Lady always attend. And on this day, Bill and Hillary Clinton were up there on the platform as were Vice President and Mrs. Gore. There were also a dozen other important senators on the platform, Supreme Court justices as well. The audience, Noonan says, was composed of liberal Democrats, conservative Republicans, and moderates of all persuasion, and they all loved Mother Teresa. But as the speech continued, it became more pointed. And here's Noonan's exact quote from Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa said during her speech, 
I can never forget the experience I had in the sitting room where they kept all these old parents of sons and daughters who had just put them into an institution and forgotten them, maybe. I saw that in that home, these old people had everything. Good food, and when you live in Calcutta, to have these things is a big deal. Good food, comfortable place, television, everything. But everyone was looking toward the door. And I did not see a single one with a smile on their face. Mother Teresa said, I turned to a sister and I asked, why do these people who have every comfort here keep looking toward the door? Why are they not smiling? Mother Teresa said, I'm so used to seeing the smiles on our people. Even the dying ones smile. And sister said, that is the way it is nearly every day. They're expecting, they're hoping that the son or the daughter will come to visit them. They are hurt because they are forgotten. Mother Teresa continued, but I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. Because Jesus said, if you receive a little child, you receive me. So every abortion is the denial of receiving Jesus, the neglect of receiving Jesus. Well, there was silence in the room, cool, deep silence, Noonan said. A cool, round cavern for several seconds. And then applause started on the right-hand side of the room and spread and deepened. And now the room swept with people applauding and they would not stop. They applauded for five or six minutes. That's a long time in that setting. But not everyone applauded, Noonan said. The president and the first lady seated within a few feet of Mother Teresa on the platform were not applauding, nor were the vice president and Mrs. Gore. They looked like seated statues at Madame Tussauds, she said. They glistened in the lights and moved not a muscle, looking at the speaker in a determinedly semi-pleasant way. Now, Mother Teresa, she says, is not perhaps schooled in the ways of world capitals and perhaps did not know that having said her piece and won the moment, she was supposed to go back to the airier, less dramatic assertions that all would agree on. Instead, she said this, abortion is really a war against the child. And I hate the killing of the innocent child. Murder by the mother herself. And if we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? Any country that accepts abortion, Mother Teresa said, is not teaching its people to love one another, but to use any violence to get what they want. This is why the greatest destroyer of love and peace is abortion, she said. Mother Teresa now spoke of fighting abortion with adoption and of telling hospitals and police stations and frightened young girls, and this is a direct quote, it's on the screen for you. This is what Mother Teresa said. Please don't kill the child. I want the child. I'm telling you, I believe that's the very heart of God. I want the child. Give me the child. I'm willing to accept, my ch- to accept any child who'd be aborted and to give that child to a married couple who will love the child and be loved by the child. Perhaps she didn't know or care that her words, as they say, weren't bringing healing, but they were divisive. Dividing not only Protestant from Catholic, but Catholic from Catholic. It was also unhappily unadorned, explicit, and impolitic, Peggy Noonan says. And it was wonderful, like a big fresh drink of water, bracing in its directness and its uncompromising tone. 
You see, when the truth is spoken out of a heart and a life that's been lived in love, influence takes place. Mother Teresa seemed neither to notice nor to care as she finished her speech to a standing ovation and left just as she had entered, silently, through a parted curtain in a flash of blue and white. She could do this, of course, because she had a natural and unknown authority. She had influence. This word, the truth of Jesus Christ, when we live it out, when we live out what we believe in word and deed, influence for God's kingdom follows. Some of you might say, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can love and stand up for truth in, 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 in settings, it, it's, it's a lot to bear, but Whatever the Lord calls you to, he will equip you for. I believe that there are going to be many leaders that rise up from here. There are many leaders in this church that are functioning. There are many that are functioning in leadership beyond. But some of you will rise to leadership levels that are staggering. And if you will lead with love from a servant's heart, with humility, if you will hold to the truth and speak it with love, influence will happen for the kingdom. Judges 6.16, the Lord said to Gideon, I will be with you. And I believe that's what the Lord will say to you too. 